Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of Say Who, Say Pod, the University of Washington football podcast hosted by myself, Christian Capel, and Danny O'Neill. It's August 25th, which means the Washington Huskies have a starting quarterback uh, to, I don't think anybody's surprised, Danny. It's Michael Penix Jr., the transfer from Indiana. Um, Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb both talking about how consistent he's been through spring and camp. That's sort of what, what we've seen in the practices we've been able to watch. Um, so while it didn't come as much of a shock, it, it is at least official. Uh, I'm curious, first of all, from your perspective. I know at the end of last year you were very much on, which a lot of people were, the train of, I want to see what Sam Heward's got. Mm-hmm. You know, Whether or not he is absolutely the best quarterback who gives him the chance to win right now, I don't care. It's a lost season. I want to see him. Um, now that, that he's entering year two for him in college and year one under a new staff, as third string, not just second string behind Dylan Morris, but now third string behind Penix and Morris, at least for the time being. Uh, I'm I'm kind of curious where you stand on on his development, how you feel about them going with Penix, and and just sort of generally this notion that that they wanted to go out and get a transfer, and it is the transfer who's going to be the guy. I will be excited to watch Penix play. Yeah, like I I I I want to see that, and I remember the game was it when they they beat Ohio State? Was that the triple overtime game? Uh, they beat Penn State on the uh, Penn State the, pi- the pylon James, right? game. Correct. Uh, Penix was awesome that game. He's really fun to watch. I know he's had difficulty staying healthy, but I'm excited to see what he looks like in this offense and and how that goes. I can't help but wonder exactly what's going on with Sam Heward. And maybe maybe this is maybe this is the bias of someone who is too enamored or has become too familiar with these top tier quarterbacks playing early. It seems especially strange to me that now in his it's this is really it's not just his second season, right? Because he great uh, he he was he was on campus for spring quarter of his of his final year where. I'm not going to say that Dylan Morris. I'm surprised he's not clearly ahead of Dylan Morris, and and I wonder. I I just, my honest, like why is that? Like was was he was he too highly regarded coming out of high school? Because there's all sorts of quarterbacks that that play as as true freshmen even, and and here he is as a, a red shirt. And his freshman year, and he's he's still third on the depth chart. That's it. Strikes me as strange, and I say that realizing that I sound like the the ignorant and impulsive fan, which I guess is what I am. I think you're right about all these five. I mean, the the one who always comes to mind is Trevor Lawrence, right? Number one player in the country, five star, big athlete, can do it all. He's Clearly, the I mean, even he didn't start their opener his true freshman year, but it was very obvious early on he was he was their best quarterback. He took over as a freshman and, and never looked back. Sam Heward is not that kind of athlete, so I I always kind of wondered just from a physical standpoint, you know, yeah, he's a five star, he was a national, you know, top eleven or top ten guy. I watched him play in high school. He can he can make all these amazing throws. No no doubting his talent, no doubting his skill, and we all know what what his lineage is. But athletically, physically, um, I kind of wondered from day one, like, is this going to be somebody who can play really early in college? And the offense he ran in high school was completely different than what he learned last year. I think most offenses are completely different than what he learned last year. Um, That's true. And now yeah. the, here's here's your year two in college. It's his it's his third offense in three years. Um, they like they what Ryan Grubb uses the word operationally. That Dylan Morris is very good operationally as far as pre-snap. I think that's a big consideration here. You know, how good is he pre-snap? How good is he changing protections? How good is he getting guys in the right places? So I think right now, in terms of identifying, hey, who do you trust if Michael Penix Jr. can't play? Who do you trust to go in there and like get the offense functioning and not mess it up and run the right plays and everything? It sounds like Dylan Morris is is a little bit ahead of Sam Heward, but they're you know both both Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb are pretty insistent. It's not a huge gap, and that Sam Heward made the most progress from spring to preseason camp. So, kind of to your point, if that progress continues, you could you could see him maybe move up as the season goes along. I'm putting my rational cap back on, and I'm going into because the framework that I've always taken in evaluating NFL quarterbacks 
is to say that it is extremely risky to pin all your hopes to a guy who is not only not played for you before, but who is making a step up. That a rookie quarterback, when you draft that guy one or two or even in a top 10 pick, that you're making a huge gamble, not sight unseen, but with a lot of different unknowns. And I should apply that same framework to Sam Hewitt and to say that, hey, what he was regarded as coming out of high school and what you were led to believe that you were getting, you should wait and evaluate him based on what you see once he gets here. And if you pin all your hopes to this guy is going to be the chosen one, like this guy, that that, that is going to set him up for potentially disappointment if his timeline isn't as fast to your liking, which might be the case with Sam Heward, or it's going to put him in a situation where he's rushed before before he's he's ready to play and and i i do think there are instances in which a player can be especially quarterbacks like their development cannot just be stalled but but you can you can wreck them i i think if you don't and that especially happens if you don't have good protection it's it's not doesn't come from playing a game or two late in the season so i should that's the that's the framework i should take like that's the rational side which is that your your reputation and what you're led to believe a player will be like don't don't let that don't let that determine your evaluation your opinion of of what you're seeing from him the flip side of it is man still Dylan Morris is only a year older and it's not like he's that big and tall and strong I mean he's thicker than thicker than Sam Heward is but it's weird to think well Sam's just not quite mature enough yet I'm like what the hell well he's he's two years older He's the the he's still a sophomore because of the eligibility thing, but this is his fourth year in the pro, which is crazy to think about. But like in a in an alternate dimension, that Dylan Morris could could be a senior this year. <laughs> um, oh, that's wild! Am I? God, I was thinking he's he's a sophomore. It's because of the COVID year, huh? Yeah, he's a fourth year sophomore of which. <laughs> Of which there are many, many across college football this year. I I feel so silly every time. I'm a fourth year sophomore and we're gonna have third year third year freshman. A bunch of Britain Coveys running around. Isn't yeah. that the the guy who's three hundred years old? Is he still playing for Utah? He, I think he still has eligibility. Left. You know, so he, he could be, but he did <laughs> he did he did leave a year quote early. Um, he was Stuart Mandel does his annual like all geezers team. Yeah, of of all the guys who what that guy's still in college and yeah like these last year this year and next year um you're gonna have some I think there I think there's a there's a seventh year senior I <gasps> I think Kevin Thompson had eligibility to come back in 2021 and could have been an eighth year senior if I'm remembering right unfortunately we didn't we didn't get to see that but do you remember when Byron Murphy just knocked Covey's hairline back. Like yes. He just abused him that po- that was that was that was cruel and unusual punishment. Like he just destroyed him that entire game. Clean legal hits too. Oh, just brutal. Just brutal. All right. So so Penix is going to start and I'm going to sit here and not be a whiner about Sam Heward and why he's not developing on pace and recognize that Dylan Morris is actually 2 years older than him. I would I would just say I would be encouraged by the progress Sam Heward made since this staff got there. And it's it's hard because you throw out last year, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you do that for Dylan Morris, too. You know, he, he didn't put his best foot forward under the staff last year, but, I mean, he he clearly wasn't comfortable in the pocket. That They got no help from the running game. They fired their coordinator after nine games. So um, I, I don't know how much you you read into what Dylan Morris's ceiling is based on last year and – I think Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb know what good quarterback play is supposed to look like, right? And so that fa- part is that part is very true, and especially when you look at Kalen DeBoer's history, and that everywhere he's gone, you've seen this significant uptick in productivity. Like he knows he knows how to run an offense, and he knows he knows what he needs from the guys who are running it. So I think I think they've seen a guy in Sam Heward who gives them some big playability. You know, DeBoer has praised the the deep ball, especially the how accurate he is throwing the thrown deep up the sidelines. And we've seen that in person. Um, but yeah, right now it, he's, he's their third best quarterback. And that you used, know, that used to be okay, right? Like it, you used to be able to redshirt and then like sit for a couple of years and then start for a couple of years and stay in college for five seasons. And like, it was fine, but mm-hmm. obviously the, the game has changed and 
expectations are a lot higher right away. And it is, you know, like you said, because of what some other five-star guys have done, it is reasonable to wonder, okay, where's this going? Yeah, and I think more than anything, it's it has to do with the feeling when Sam Heward committed was, all right, we got one of these guys. We got somebody that's in the Spencer Rattler, that, that, that prodigy, the elite seven-on-seven passing camp quarterback. We got the, the Northwest equivalent of the Orange County big Catholic school quarterback who's ready to come in. And so when he didn't start right away, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I was, I was led to believe that he was from this upper crust of guys who come in and they're ready because of all the advanced passing tendencies and strategies that high schools have now that they, it's not like it used to be. And really what I just need to do is chill out, especially because Penix, Penix is a really dynamic, like it's going to be a different style of quarterback than we've seen. We haven't seen someone like that. I mean, that's, there's UW's had a lot of really effective quarterbacks who've been able to move. Maybe Penix's difference is that he's got that with the size that's the first time since Locker's obviously the comparison with the overall skill set. Yeah, I see they they featured Jake Locker's running as part of their offense, and yeah. you're not gonna see that um, Good. with with Michael Penix Jr. I'm I'm still like I'm honestly kind of curious to see how uh, how mobile and how evasive he is, you know, five seasons into his career, four really serious injuries into his career. You go back and look at his numbers. He's never been a guy who really, you know, hit chunk plays running the running with the ball. Um, he's a he's a pocket passer who I think they like his ability to create some things with his legs. I will say, like, of the three quarterbacks watching in, in spring and in preseason camp, he was the guy who who is clearly the most comfortable in the pocket and can, you know, he, he's, he's got that veteran ability to just take one, one step, you know, step up in the pocket, just this slight little movement to, to evade a rush or give himself a clearer picture where it's instinctive and it's natural. And you can tell he's seen it and he's done it. Um, so I, I think his, his mobility will manifest more that way than, than running around. And, you know, like Kalen DeBoer has said before, like right when he first got here, that, Anything the quarterback can give you with his legs is a bonus. Now, in recruiting, you know they've got a commitment in 2023 from a guy Lincoln Keenholz who, who has you know done a lot running the ball as a quarterback and has you know put up pretty big numbers throwing the ball too. And a couple other guys they offered in that same cycle were were, were more dual threats. So maybe there is a thought that yeah, in the future, just with the way the, way the game has changed, they do want a guy who's athletic. And obviously, they're you know they're always going to want a guy even if he's a a pocket passer who you're not calling runs for. You're going to want a guy who's savvy enough with his feet to to keep plays alive and extend things. But I, I think, especially with the injury history, I don't know that you're going to see Michael Penix Jr. with the ball in his hands a lot, but um, he, he definitely gives them probably the, the best ability to just keep plays alive and um, you know show show his mobility in a way that is that is still additive without necessarily equaling a bunch of rushing yards. Yeah, that... His ability to move and create, I think, was what stuck out with me most. And maybe I'm basing this on what I saw a couple years ago in, in watching Indiana. And, and he does need to. But he is, he is someone who is able to create. Like that, create plays, even if it's not scripted part of the run game. Like his, he's, he's able to move. I think the, the Penn State dive maybe maybe created this idea for from Husky fans that like, oh, yeah, like this is a, you know, this is a, dual threat can hurt you both ways. And I'm not saying he can't, um, but that was, that was probably the, you know, obviously that was, that's the highlight of his career so far, right? Scoring that touchdown and Penn state fans may say it wasn't a touchdown and that he, he didn't get there, but the fact that it, it came on the ground, you know, running, I think maybe created a, an expectation that, that you might not see this year just with, you know, with the, you know, with the injury history and, and DeBoer's preferences. But I think it's very nice how 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 polite you're being to me about this by basically saying, "Dude, he's not going to move around that much. Like he's going to be throwing the ball. So so stop it with the he's going to run around." There's also no way to know because like we didn't get to see them go live a ton, and they're not going to hit quarterbacks, so they're not going to call like a ton of quarterback runs as far as what we see. But um, yeah, DeBoer. I just I don't think I don't think DeBoer likes to to put the quarterback in in harm's way a ton. That's such a that's such a tough balance too. I like I remember when they had Jake Locker and it was like this guy could line up at tailback, right? Like you could mm-hmm. you could give it to him twenty five times a game. 
there were a lot of situations where it's like, well, just, you know, just, just let Locker run it. Just let Locker run it. But, you know, how many hits do you want that guy to take? Yeah, this is going to be a little bit of a non sequitur, but uh, yes. hard, hard knocks right now is the Detroit Lions. There has never been another hard knocks that cares as little about the quarterback as this one. <laughs> like, they do not care that Jared Goff is there at all, which is, quite honestly, the best, the best like, approach to it. But it got—I was talking about this yesterday. Why doesn't Detroit go, like, Tebow style? Not Tim Tebow, but in, in, in the sense of get a guy who can run— that is clearly not an NFL arm. Like, get the best running quarterback that you can, and then and then just let him get the bejesus knocked out of him. And then, as I was thinking that, I was like, yeah, because I think you can. I think you can win. I think you can get a winning record in the NFL with that approach. I, I I don't I don't think you can win a division. I don't think you can make a deep run in the playoffs. But but I think you can get to the playoffs having like a, a non like a non-NFL caliber passer back there if he's just a really good runner and you don't care how much he gets hit. And that led me to believing, why don't the Seahawks do that? Just instead of this whole, like, go old school, I don't care if it's triple option, like the 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 whole sense of, like, we're going to go back to, like, Tommy Frazier style. Like, Frazier, Frazier was a pretty dominant runner. He couldn't couldn't really throw but that it would be an interesting experiment and i'm not sure if you'd lose all that much so as college has become more like the nfl in terms of the emphasis on passing to the point where you don't i i think it'd be i think there's an opportunity in the nfl i don't know if defenses would know what to do if all of a sudden you're like oh we got this 225 pound guy back there that they just run all the time and they don't care how much he gets hit because they're like he's big and tough well i think they're they're on record saying that you know they're fine if their guys don't have all their kneecaps, right? <laughs> or what was it? Half half an ass cheek? What did, what did he say on the show? I haven't watched it, but I, I saw people talking about it. I think we had a yeah, big story on it. Yeah, no, it's 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 true. Dan Campbell's a little bit nuts, but I I kind of like him. Like yeah. he's he's I kind of like him. I think Hard Knocks has uh, shifted the narrative on him from the opening press conference of like, oh my god, you know, this is you got this, you got this, this you know, big tough football guy and does he really know what he's yeah Yeah, does does he really know what he's doing and oh geez and and now i I think that seems like the show at least the way people talk about him again i haven't watched it but the the way people talk about him it seems like they're kind of coming around and now he's a more endearing figure for much the same reasons but um i will say i've had billy jean stuck in my head for like two weeks (laughs) i just see the clip on on social media and i did i watched it multiple times i enjoyed that (laughs) so if if DeBoer was on Hard Knocks, what kind of personality would he be? Like what kind of because there's there's got to be someone like this year in Hard Knocks. It's it's Campbell's kind of the star. Like they're definitely playing up. Like man, how caffeinated he is and how how hyped up. What what would what would DeBoer like? What's your sense of what DeBoer's personality is? Here's what I've been telling people. He he's from he's from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Obviously, spent a long time in in South Dakota and and. You know those roots are very important to him, and he does. He has kind of that that midwestern, you know, very friendly, polite type of personality. Um, but he's he's not Ted Lasso. I mean, he you talk to him, and you just there's kind of this undercurrent of like com- competitiveness through everything. He's not. He's he's. I think he treats people well, and you know, prioritizes, prioritizes that in his program. And it's, you know, being a team and unity and all those sort of things are a big part of the culture. And, um, you know, people in the athletic department rave about him and, and just how, how great he is to work with and all these things, but he, he wants to win badly and will not, you know, his, his demeanor, his, his personality will not prevent him from making, you know, the cutthroat decisions that need to be made sometimes on a college football team. Um, he's going to play the best guys, you know, he's, he's going to go out and, and get a transfer quarterback. If he feels like they need to upgrade that position, he obviously had no problem taking Jake Hayner from Fresno state like that. You know, the reason that didn't happen wasn't because Washington was saying, no, hold on. You know, like I think, I think, um, he's, you just, you can kind of, you can kind of feel that, that sort of burning within him. I don't think he swears. I don't. I don't think I've ever heard him swear. And I think I've heard people say like he he doesn't. Um, mm. 
Really? He's not the he's not the yelling, screaming, you know, fiery get after guys necessarily type, but um he's uh he's he's a competitor and he, he he's as competitive as anybody and he, he really wants to win and I think that's that's maybe what I take away most from his personality so far, just that he's he wants to do it the right way and he wants to do it treating people the right way, but he winning is very, very important to him. I'm it's probably reflects my own insecurity, but I'm always suspicious when somebody doesn't swear. Like I, in, in general, I don't trust someone who doesn't have any vices. Like if you don't have any vices and, and I, I base that on Brian Cox, who was an assistant coach with, I think it was the Atlanta Falcons on hard knocks. And he was smoking a cigar that looked like it was out of a cartoon. Like it was, it had a, a bulge in the middle. Like it wasn't just a uniformly, uh, width. It, it, it looked like a stick of dynamite, like that would explode. And then he explained that, uh, if you don't have vices, that's where you find the serial killers. So I, I, I will, I will say that in general, I think that it's a very noble thing to not cuss. However, it makes me suspicious. I'm, I'm worried. I'm, I'm worried about a man that does not have vices. Lorenzo Romar doesn't swear. Yes. I love Lorenzo. Yeah. He, his his vice is red vines. <laughs> He's red vines. He loves red vines. Is Loro still down at Pepperdine? He is. Yeah, that's Rough. not a that's not a bad place to 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 land to wake up every morning. Yeah, yeah. That's, there yeah. there are, there are worse parts of the world for sure. All right, so we've got an understated, competitive Midwestern type who doesn't swear and is 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 very exacting in his offensive standards. I would say yes. I don't see. I don't know what kind of character he would cut on on a, on a hard knocks type show. Uh, Jamarcus Shepard would be the star of of a, a UW hard knocks. I would say the receivers coach and, and associate head coach. Um, that guy has more energy than probably most human beings you've ever met. I mean he's 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 running. He's out there running alongside guys sometimes he's you know if someone makes a big play he's jumping up and down and sprinting down the field and he's, you'll see him you'll see him doing up downs you'll see him doing push-ups i mean he's he's he is everywhere and uh and he's also he's also a you know a, a very highly regarded receivers coach too so he's doing up downs and he doesn't have to i feel like i've seen that i feel like i've really well, you know how you know how sometimes like you'll see a db kind of take yeah. it take it on himself like if he if he busts a coverage or he, he could have had a right. could have made a play on a ball and he'll drop and get yeah it's it's that kind of thing yeah usually when they have hands like feet then they end up doing push-ups or something to to sort of like showing their own penance for their that's i i i, I can get behind that receivers should be a strength for this team right like if you're looking on all the different spots of this offense that that should be that should where some of the playmaking comes from or the bulk of the playmaking that should be a strength of this team it should be the i think it, it should be the strength yeah, I think and I think this coaching staff recognized that walking in the door. They're like, okay, put on the tape, four and eight. Let's let's see what we got. And oh, like okay, Romo Dunze can do some things. Jalen McMillan can do some things. And it, you know, it's not like those guys were uh, unknown to them. Jalen McMillan is literally from Fresno, California, so they um, had some familiarity with him certainly. But yeah, and I think uh, if the spring and preseason camp told us anything about the receivers is that they're they maybe feel like they're a little a little deeper there in terms of guys they can rely on because giles jackson has come on so strong and i think taj davis had made some plays and you know i think taj davis showed that in games at times last year he got to play a lot more early on than than they were planning because of a bunch of injuries to guys ahead of him but i think that yeah we know how they feel about those top three that's that's been clear from day one pretty much and now they 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 talk about Giles Jackson as as being someone they expect to be a factor, and I think you're going to see Taj Davis on the field too. I'm curious to see how deep they go with the rotation there. DeBoer has talked about playing as many as seven guys in a game in the past. I I kind of don't think you're going to see that many. Maybe in these first two weeks if they get a big enough lead and it's you know late in the second half type of thing. But um, I I kind of feel like it's it's a five man rotation for now. But we'll see. Yeah. It, I think the hard thing about trying to speculate or try to project how competitive or how good Washington's going to be is that usually when you have a new coach, there's been sort of a, a usually there's there you're either your coach got promoted, like hired to a bigger job 
in which case you feel like the, the next guy should be inheriting some of the benefits of that. If it's a coach that got fired, as in Washington's case, that there's been some progressive erosion that's, that's been there, I'm sure there's some of that. But the one thing is, is that Washington was such an underachiever last year and like that everybody looks at it and you're like, okay, the offensive output, like that was not the sum of its parts. Like that was, there were, there were problems structurally with the offense. There were problems structurally with the program. There was the, 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 the sense, and, and, I, and I might be sort of talking myself into a rosier scenario for this, this upcoming season, is that, look, that, that was a team that they did not make the most of what they had. This isn't your typical sort of taking over after a coach got fired where you've got a couple of you've got a couple of years of of erosion to deal with before you get back to being competitive and and I, and I kind of feel like the ability to keep receivers to keep McMillan and Odunze is 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 part of the 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 statement toward that of like they were able to keep those guys and they should be able to I think this is going to be a, a more talented team than you usually would have given what we saw last year, like that it's not as dire simply because that coaching staff and the, the disarray that happened did not utilize the people that were there. Well, if Kalen DeBoer took the job knowing only that this is the university of Washington and they went four and eight last year, I think he would have been very pleasantly surprised upon surveying what the talent that they have left, you know, like, is it, is it a, a conference championship contender right now? I don't think so, but I, I don't think that's a a wild thought. You know, like I think there's two teams in the league that are like that, right? Like USC and Washington both went four and eight last year. Yeah. Yeah. Fired their coaches, hired new ones, and expectations for USC are already boom, right there. Now they hired Lincoln Riley. They brought Caleb yeah. Williams from Oklahoma. They've completely overhauled their roster. Isn't that interesting? USC came in and Lincoln Riley's first act was like, oh, my God, we we got to get a bunch of these guys out of here, and we got to get a bunch of new guys in here. Whereas I think Kalen DeBoer was was more trying to prevent guys from leaving. Yes. Now, there were a couple, a couple guys committed in the 2022 class that I think they had to have some tough conversations with because it was it didn't it didn't really fit what they wanted or, you know, maybe they just they thought those guys weren't good enough or whatever it was. But for the most part, did, did you know this? Did you know that So scholarships are guaranteed for four years now? That didn't used to be the case. But in the first year of a, of a coaching change, you can run guys off? Really? That is, that is like allowed by – there is an NCAA rule that allows you to do that. No way. So Lincoln what? Riley took, took great that? advantage why of is, that. Why is that allowed? Um, I, I don't know. I think. I just, mean, is there is there any rationale for it other than hey, we've got to give the coach latitude to get his guys in there? That that sounds exactly that sounds exactly like what that rule is instituted to prevent. Like honestly, like that that sounds like well, you you're guaranteed for four years except when the coach was like that's the whole problem. Like that's the whole problem is coaches take over and run guys off. So it might be I'd have to look at it closer. It it might be that. It, running them off allows you to remove their scholarship from your 85 total, but I'm uh-huh. nearly certain the school would still be beholden to their scholarship should they want to stay in school there. But who yeah. would, right? But the, like, <laughs> that's a crummy thing. Oh, no, like, that's fine. Yeah, you know I just what? won't You're... play football anymore. <laughs> Which, I mean, for some people that might be totally acceptable, but for most of those guys, like... No, part of the deal was I got to play football here. And now you're telling me, well, you can go to school here, but you just can't play football. And I, what? Change the deal on me. Steve, Sar- um, Steve Sarkeesian told DeAndre Campbell and Andrew Hudson uh, that their Apple Cup, their fourth year junior season would be would be their senior day, uh, would be their last game. And uh, when Chris Peterson took over, they both went to Chris Peterson and said, hey, um, we, we actually would like to stay on the team for our senior year. Would that be okay? And he was like, yeah, sure. And Andrew Hudson had like 10 sacks and got into camp with the Bills the next year. And DeAndre Campbell was like one of their one of their leaders and a you know, really popular teammate. And I don't know that he had like a really big season, but he played. So it's funny how those things kind of work out sometimes. That kind of happened with Russell Wilson at NC State. Yeah. 
they well, had hi- they had him participate in senior day. So so Russ is Russ entered the draft in 2012. His his final year of college football was 2011 at Wisconsin. In 2010, NC State at that point he's a fourth year junior told him like you're, you you participate in senior day because you because you're 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 going to be done. You're not coming back next year. It's like like kind of want to come back. And then the coach Tom O'Brien talked to the NFL about getting him invited to the combine. <laughs> <laughs> While well, Russ is like, I, I actually think I might play football again. <laughs> He's like, well, I, no, I, I don't think the NFL wants you, Russ. <laughs> like, what the hell's going on? And then what O'Brien had told him was, if you go play baseball, Mike Glennon's going to be the starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's going to be the, there's nothing you're going to be able to do. And Russ's response to that was. Okay, fine. You can say that. I'll still come to fall camp and beat him out. And O'Brien's like, "Look, you're not going to beat him out. There's not going to be a competition." And <laughs> Russ is like, "Well, I'm still going to go play baseball." Like he essentially called O'Brien's bluff. And so O'Brien was like, "Okay, you're not on the team if you come back. Like you're you're not on the team." And then he went and talked to the NC State athletic director, who ended up deciding like, "Okay, O'Brien can do that." Then Russ transfers. And then this, this is this is the most ruthless part of the whole thing. The NC State AD, who I believe is Kathy Yao at that point, then uses that as part of the reason she fired O'Brien after the end of the next year. It's like, yeah, well, you didn't even let Russell come back onto the team and he had to go to Wisconsin. So that's part of the reason you're getting fired. College sports, baby. <laughs> It was when I there. There's a great podcast that was. It's called Russell Wilson Never Failed, and it was by the guys at the Raleigh Station. It's really good, but it spelled all that out, and I was like, "Wow, like that is that is some layers and some depths to it." Like Tom O'Brien did a little suddenly senior thing, like Tyrone Willingham with Mike Bronstein. Yeah, isn't that obviously the way he handled it was was very poor, and he he ran off some guys who were like pretty good players, yes. right? Yes, he did. So that was that was odd, but it, it is funny how that that was kind of this like seminal, you know, Tyron Willingham is is terrible and has lost the team moment when <laughs> the coaches do that everywhere. <laughs> they do, yes. But yeah, do. Michael Bra- Michael Bronstein was not happy about that. No, he was not. No, he was not. He told Jim Moore all about it. I remember that. <laughs> Jim relished the opportunity to talk about. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it pained it pained Jim to uh, to yeah. have to write that one. Bronstein seemed like Bronstein is seemed like a he was he was like an ideal Jim Moore subject for yes. a column. Yeah. Yeah, he's similar to Jim and that had very very few unspoken thoughts would just let it rip. You could, we need the sport needs more kickers who are are just willing to say whoa, whatever whoa, they whoa, want whoa, all whoa. the time. Whoa, no no no. We need more people, not more kickers. Who wants to hear from the kicker? We'll man? start with the kickers. No. Let's start no, with the kickers. God no. Uh one of my favorite quotes that I ever got was from Grant Wistrom, who was a great college football player. And then he played defensive end for the Seahawks. And he was he was really good with the Rams, and then he was overpaid with the Seahawks. But this was, it was after, I can't remember what I was asking him about, but he the quote that he told me was, karma visits kickers more regularly than any other position in life. He said, Mike Vanderjack is an absolute jerk who talks about his quarterback, and then he goes out and shanks a huge playoff kick. And then there was John Hall. He goes, the Redskins punter uh, recovers a fumble in front of our bench, spikes it in front of us, and then they end up losing that game. Like, karma is beautiful. It's like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about kickers. It's like, anytime you act demonstratively, like, I believe that the world should rise up and, like, humble you immediately. See, I just I think people are too mean to kickers generally. Really? Especially college kickers. Okay, I agree with that. Like they shouldn't get heat for missing kicks, but it's it's a strange part of like I I'll I'll, I'll say this part of like it's valuable to have a good kicker. I don't think kickers should ever be razzed for missing kicks, and that's that's definitely true in college. But I I don't I don't like the importance place kicking has in the game. Like it's it's a, it's a weird way to it's it's the soccer shootout of football. 
Yeah. You, you, you don't think they should be mocked, but you think they're all terrible people. I, I get it. No, <laughs> it's not that. I just, I think they should be more negligible. I think we should treat them generally like mascots. You think? Like, feel- I think they should be treated with the same sort of, like, they're there, they serve a valuable purpose, we don't hate them, like, but, but we, don't, we don't glorify them either. What about left-footed kickers? <laughs> well... Yeah, that's yeah. No, that doesn't that doesn't do do anything for me either. I like punters more than I like kickers. Why is that? Maybe it's because they don't get any of the glory. Like there's no attention to <laughs> that's it. That's true, and it's not fair. I f- I feel the same. No, way. Yeah. no. That, that's it's not that it's not fair. It's appropriate. <laughs> like that's that's the level of attention that all people who who kick footballs should get is the level of attention that we give the punter where when you've got a really good punter like the Seahawks have he's generally acknowledged for being a really good punter but it's not like oh my god can you believe how crucial this guy is to the day no he's a good kicker like he's a good kicker and that's exactly what you should hope for and we shouldn't make anything more of it than that race porter was washington's mvp last year he was a good punter that would be another example of karma when 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 Reese Porter was summoned onto the field for that punt against Oregon and the snap then sailed right over his head, that was God telling Jimmy Lake he was an idiot. Like that was God making it very clear to Jimmy Lake just how stupid what he was doing was. That was unfortunate for Race Porter in particular because he had an incredible game against Oregon. He was phenomenal. He, he, was, he was he was great. He pinned them inside the five twice. He and Carson Bruner were the only guys that, like, like they played their butts off that game. Actually, UW's defense played really well that game. It was just the offense was so god-awful. Are you, are you hopeful that they can stop the run better this year? Yeah. Yes. There is nothing more demoralizing than watching a team get run on like Washington did. It's, it's the worst. Yes, I am. And they should be able to, right? That's the reason that they got the transfers that, that the the middle linebacker like they should ha- they should have better linebackers should, better size and speed at linebacker right I think so and we, we talked about this before but the the depth at linebacker is interesting um, we saw Cam Bright the, you know one of their two transfers six year guy from Pittsburgh who's played a ton him and, and Alfonso Tupatala were were pretty much the number one linebackers going through the the open practices we saw now maybe that's changed. Um, you know, and the other guys are going to rotate in there, but it looks like those could be the starters. And you couldn't have guessed that at the end of last year, one because Cam Bright wasn't in the program yet, and you know Alfonso Tupatalo was coming off of an Achilles injury. I think everybody, myself included, and I still believe this, looked you know thought that that Carson Bruner was kind of the future at that position going forward. Had the huge game against Stanford. You mentioned you know the big interception against Oregon that, that set up their their touchdown. Um, I don't know that, that he's going to be a starter to start the season, which I, I wouldn't have necessarily predicted. Uh, but again, obviously he's going to have a chance to play his way uh, into into that kind of role. He's going to get a lot of snaps regardless. I think you have to rotate at that position nowadays. Um, but I, it, it is it – is, uh, they'll be relying on two different guys than they did at, at any point last year in the middle. I'm curious. Man, they, they made a very intentional point to bring Alumu Ale along in the middle of that defensive line. Like when camp opened, he was firmly entrenched with the number one defense next to Tuli, Latuli Nasanoa. Those were clearly the two guys they wanted to get going together on the interior. He got hurt in what, I mean, to me looked like a potentially really bad injury. I mean, really scary moment in practice. He goes down, they cart him off. It takes a few minutes, practice stops. Guys are on one knee, guys are coming over and, and telling him, you know, hey, keep your head up, and offering words of encouragement, um, and they were very, very relieved to find out that it was it was only going to be a couple of week thing, and they expect him to be able to play against Kent State. Um, but that changes the picture if if he really takes to it, and that move works the way that the coaches wanted, where now you have a six six, three hundred and thirty pound guy in the middle, and sort of that that really mountainous body to take on double teams and plug gaps and. You let the linebackers run and make plays and stuff because they—that's kind of what they've been missing the last couple of years. Even though they've had some bigger guys, they really haven't had someone like that. Have they given him a better number? He's still number sixty-eight. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't. I don't like sixty-eight for your for your defensive lineman. Like, like has there been any discussion? Like, he should be in the nineties, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they are they full in the nineties. Well. If he's going to be that good, though, like we, I don't, I just don't like the look of it. 
I just don't like the I, I don't like the look of it, Christian. Like sixty eight feels like that feels kinda like the, the emergency switch over from the offensive line ish. They don't Isn't have a, a ninety two or a ninety six. Maybe maybe so. he's maybe maybe he's got a reason for it and I should just get over my but that was I, I was I was concerned about that because sixty eight just feels very guardish to me. It feels very guardish. Maybe that's what they're going for. They want the <laughs> they want the offenses to look across and be like, oh, this is an offensive lineman. What does he know? Most, most of these, uh, the, the, somebody should inform them that most of the coaches they're going against are not as stupid as me, and prone <laughs> to as, as as idiotic a, a, a stereotypes and observations that you're that that, that they will make. Um, that's going to be the. I think that's going to be um, the opening statement from every opposing head coach every week. Oh, you look at their defense. I don't know. They got a nose tackle where in '68. Uh, <laughs> we're going to run all over these guys. Yeah, yeah. It is. That's because. The pass rush, and I might be pinning too much on ZTF, but I'm very excited about. I I think that they've got an edge rusher that's, and they've they've had some decent edge rushers over the over the past few years. But I don't. I I I think ZTF is is one of like a top top of the conference kind of apex predator, and I think that's going to be better. So if the run defense is stouter, I I think it'll be a huge improvement. Do you like Utah to make the playoff? No, because I think that Utah will wow, always kick wow. a game or two. I think I think Utah will always kick a game or two. They're going to have great kicking and punting, though. I mean, you can, <laughs> you can book that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's my bold prediction for for college football this year. Is that Utah's going to make the playoff? I think they will. I think they're going to go into the swamp week one and take care of business against Florida. And people are going to go, oh, wow. How about that? I could see that happening. They're... That's, that's, a tough, that's a tough slog for Utah, though. I don't know if – I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't see Utah making it out. Like, Utah's, Utah's the kind of team that will lose the game or two where the offense just won't – they rely so much on special teams. Like, they, they really do rely a ton on special teams. And they always play good defense. I don't know, though. You think that do you think they'll lose just one Pac-12 game or do you think they're going to go through like run the table? Well, that might be the question. Can they get in losing one or would they have to go undefeated? Yeah. I see the Florida game I think it's like an it's a really tough test, but it's an ideal tough test and that it's a team that went 6 and 7 last year and fired its coach and has a new coaching staff and it's Florida, it's still Florida, it's still the swamp, it's still on the road against an SEC team. But it's it's not like a top ten matchup, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a program in transition. Utah is the exact opposite of that. Um, so I I think it's it's one where it's reasonable they could go in there and take care of business. I don't think anyone should be surprised if they do. Yet I think they would get a lot of credit for doing it. So I think I think it would be a a statement win that is very much within their grasp, if that makes sense. What are the going to be the the sort of the marquee non conference games? You got Oregon, Georgia, right? There's some really good ones. Oregon, Georgia is is the most high profile. I think most people, it's it's amazing, man. The the national narrative is that like Utah should dominate the Pac-12, and when has that ever been the case? Even when like you should have you should have known that Utah was going to be really good. They're getting a lot of attention, um, and so that Florida game is what a lot of people are pointing to as kind of the the marquee non-conference matchup. You've got you've got Oregon Georgia um in week 1. I believe those are in back-to-back time slots if I'm remembering right. Um so that should be yeah, you've got Oregon Georgia at 12:30 and Utah Florida at 4. So, there you go. I mean, and, and then week 2 the Cougs have Wisconsin. Yeah, they go to Wisconsin. I, That's a sneaky a sneaky good good matchup. And then that, and then week three, we've got Michigan State, which I'm going to come out for that game. Um, the the guys that I have tickets with, we've kind of decided to meet for that. And I, I'm not sure how much to make of Michigan State. I mean, a lot of their offense relied on the running back last year, but Tucker's Tucker's kind of regarded as as one of the up and coming coaches, isn't he? Oh yeah, I mean, he got that massive contract extension last year. He's a maniacal recruiter. I mean, it seems like those guys are in on every, even out here, you know, those guys are in on like every 
big prospect who's you know putting out a list of top 10 six or whatever i mean you see michigan state show up on those like way more than than they had in the past even you know when they had some really really good seasons under under mike d'antonio so um it that again though it's kind of what i just said about utah and florida like michigan state is a a top 15 team preseason i think Mm -hmm. they're right in that range Mm -hmm. they lost a lot Mm -hmm. you know they lost the best running back in the country he's playing for the seahawks now uh, I liked that pick, by the way. I know that wasn't like a really popular thing to think at the time, but I thought people that was... D- people uh, don't like running backs. I know. People don't like it when you draft running backs that high. They go crazy about it. So they're they're replacing a lot, and I think it's kind of a prove-it season for them after you know they won 11 games last year. Tucker got the big contract extension. Um, they they played in a big bowl game and you know kind of culturally transition to like hey we're putting huge money behind football we are investing in recruiting we are investing in you know being the very best at a time when the big 10 is really asserting itself as a super league so um but i I don't know that this is like guaranteed to be a great season for them necessarily so that's that's a game where washington could could generate a lot of a lot of goodwill and 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 kind of change perceptions about the kind of season it can have by winning um but it's not you know it's not like going to michigan last year or it's not like if if that same michigan team had come to seattle it's saying michigan state they're they're a little bit a little bit more of an unknown than some of the other teams that are they're ranked you know kind of around them so um that's a it's an interesting matchup Uh, do you think they'll sell it out I don't know. It feels I mean, like it takes a lot to get to the actual like seventy thousand thirty eight I mean, or whatever it is. The game's been the game time is at least set, which is I think has been one of the one of the issues with, with waning attendance. I mean, obviously the success from last year is or lack of that. But but the the, the fact that the game time has been set in advance, I think I think will help. They should be two and zero. Like I don't, I don't see a, a, a scenario where they're not. You got Kent State and Portland State. That how quick, yeah. how quickly, how quickly you've exercised the demons of the Montana Grizzlies, <laughs> dude. I was, I actually last week I was thinking about the moment, like the exact moment when I found out what happened. It was on a subway platform out in Flushing because we were coming back from the U.S. Open. And it, it it we'd had a blast. Like I I'd, I'd never gone to a, a tennis tournament before, like a big time tennis tournament. And we went two days last year to the U.S. Open. U.S. Open is fantastic. Like it's one of the it, it it's been it was one of the funnest sporting events that I've ever gone to. We went and saw I think it was third round play where there were like four or five different matches going on. And then we came back and saw the women's final um, when Radicanu won. And then on the subway platform afterward. Um, I saw it was a tweet from Kevin Jackson referencing Ryan Divish. Kevin Jackson is an editor at Fox Sports now, who I worked with yeah. back at ESPN.com. And Good Ryan guy. Divish, who's a, a Montana grad, I think he graduated, didn't he? It might have taken him seven and a half years, but I think I, I'm fairly certain he got his degree from there. Um, Lots and there of people was go to college to, for nine years. <laughs> and and I, that, was, that was where I was when I found out that they'd lost. And I was like, oh, my God. I it was a level of disbelief and then immediate like white hot anger over over what had happened so yes i have done my best to block that out and and to take that for granted like portland state should 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 get dog walked when it comes into husky stadium that's a bold prediction it <laughs> should be dog walked the thing can't... it should be absolutely better like throttled put into a paper bag then taken out and throttled and then put back into the paper bag Kent State is a legit Mac program. I mean, they're like, you know, it's the Mac. Okay, no, no, mm-hmm. no Mac team should should win at Washington if if Washington is playing up to standard. I understand that, but that's I don't see that as like a uh, an uh, you know chalk it up, circle it as a win type of game. Like especially after if they lose that game, we're talking about a struggle to be five hundred this year. Yes, absolutely. Like no, it and, would be it would be an unacceptable loss. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> I'm just saying, one year removed from Montana, I don't know that anybody in that building is is approaching Kent State as like, okay, this is this these guys will just roll over. That's all well and good. And as as a fan, I could say that that 
if they they're not two and zero going into that Michigan State game, I will believe that something has gone very wrong, and I will prepare to be disappointed in that that to to deal with the the very real possibility of a second consecutive losing season. What is success for you this year? Success, like a good season, is it being bowl eligible and 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 finishing with seven eight wins. Like I would say, like that that question of. There's nothing that can happen this year that will make me hope that they fired DeBoer. Like, unless, okay, there's only one thing that can happen this year that would make me think that they should fire DeBoer. If they punt that fourth down in the fourth quarter? No, it's if he uses academically prowess. (laughs) If he says academically prowess, like, all bets are off. Like, I've I've seen that before. That is the canary in the coal mine. Like, that is the sign that things are going to go drastically wrong. Like, if he says academically prowess, out! But short of that, like, so if, if they win seven games, I'm not going to sit there and it's like, oh, I've got some real questions about the direction of this program. Like, I, I, I want to see them improve. I, if they lose to Kent State, I'm not going to come out and think that, like, the wrong coach is here and this is the bad. It's going to show you how much dry rot there actually is in the program. And, like, that's, and that, that, that's not going to reflect on the current coach. I think that there's more talent on this team. Then I don't think this is your your typical four and eight team that 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 he's inheriting. I think there's more talent there that they kept a lot of that talent. I I think I I really think that they can win seven or eight games. And if if things go incredibly well for them and Penix stays healthy and is great, I I could see a scenario where they're 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 in contention for a division championship. Like, but the the what what will make me feel like it's a disaster? If you're one and one going into that Michigan State game and then get trounced, I'll feel like okay, this is going to be this. Is, buckle up that I need to put on my big boy pants and stop complaining because this is going to be a brutal season and this program is in much worse shape than I thought it was. Uh, the Seattle Times published an editorial yesterday about some academic ranking that UW achieved recently. I'm going to read you. <laughs> I'm going to read you a sentence. Between this and the student loan stuff, I've just about had my fill of people talking about college. The newly announced global ranking looks at the school from a different perspective, focusing on academic prowess alone. (laughs) And they rank uh, 17th, so. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) God. Do you think the language was intentional? No, no, I don't. Like, the, here's my problem with like University of Washington is a really big school. Like, it's a it's a really big school, and it is a great research university, and you can get an absolutely fantastic education there. I I I love the time that I spent there. I also think it's possible to go to that school and kind of skate through. Like it's a it's a really big public university. It and sure going, is. And and going there doesn't mean that you're some sort of like higher cut or that like there's a different caliber of athlete that goes to the University of Washington and we're in the same conversation with Stanford. No, we're not. No, no, we're not. The the same the same kind of kids go to the University of Washington that go to the University of Oregon. And and the the that snobbery that exists about that sort of stuff, it's it it. it it makes me feel the same as when I talk to these little prep school dweebs out here who go to some liberal arts school that I'd never heard of and pretend I'm supposed to be impressed by it, in which I'm just like, yeah, you're not better because you went to some school. Like, you're not. Like, I know so many idiots that went to good schools. I, so it's 17th in academic prowess, great. I, you know what? You can get a really good education there. But <laughs> I hate – it really does bother – like, if there's one thing – I don't mind Washington arrogance – like, I, I don't mind it, especially when it comes to Washington State being the little brother that you kind of hope wins most of the time because you know that they don't have a ton going on for them. But I, I hate it when it's like, how good our school is because it's not, like it's 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 like a lot of big public universities. It's so funny when that comes up in these like really impassioned expansion arguments. <laughs> yeah. Fans fans comparing their academics to to other programs and uh, it's just. 
Yeah, when people were talking about the Big Ten, we'd fit in there with those prestigious research universities. I'm like, you know what? We wouldn't fit in there because we're a West Coast school and you're a middle America conference. I don't want to be in your conference. I don't want to go there. And like, I, it, it's that's that, that it. that's the arrogance you're buying into. That's the it's, that's the arrogance. Like you're all about West Coast arrogance, but let's leave yes. let's leave the GPAs out of it. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's we're going to stick where we belong. And like people were like, I don't know about letting Boise State in because of their academic standards. Have you ever looked at Arizona State? Like it's not like there's a bunch of Mensa candidates going there either. Like it's a West Coast school. It makes sense for them to come in. Like stop tripping over yourself about like oh diluting the quality of the education. We're all public universities for the most part, except for Stanford. And generally, like that trade off is that it's harder for them. They have an institutional lack of speed, which we just all accept. Um, <laughs> Stanford belongs in the Ivy League, honestly. Yeah. Like if you if you really wanted to look at it from no, like Oh, they're too good for the Ivy League. Oh, these though. these presidents, these presidents who, you know, care about academics and want to be aligned and the Ivy League is the only the only athletic conference that is like actually aligned with the level that Stanford's at academically. If we want to be like really honest about it. That's probably true. The the problem is and this is here's what I like about Stanford in the Pac-12. Stanford being in the Pac-12 bothers some people at Stanford. It bothers some people at Stanford who think that there's too much emphasis placed on athletics. And I like the fact that they have, like in their own standards, some dumb jocks who care too much about sports running around their institution. Like, I like that part. I think I, I would feel bad if they didn't have some annoyance uh, of some of their upper campus people who's like, you know, we pay too much attention to sports. It's like, that's right, you do. And you come in and you compete at a disadvantaged level because you can't get as many good players in as some of the other schools in the conference. And that's just the way it is. It is. It's hilarious that this entire college football enterprise is based – I mean, it's it's driven completely by TV now, and it has yes. been has been for years. And it's it's all about greed and money and revenue and all this stuff. And yet, you have the twelve people making the decisions in the Pac-12, and the fourteen, soon to be sixteen, maybe more people making the decisions in the Big Ten. Uh, some of them just have completely different priorities than that. So mm-hmm. TV runs it everyone knows it yet you have people who don't even necessarily really pay attention to football or care about athletics and really why should they you know they're they're running a multi-billion dollar enterprise that has a hundred other things going on every day that you know and it's and an institution of higher learning and all this stuff but it's just if you take a step back and look at like okay we have football these football programs generate you know tens of millions of dollars every year and they're the most recognizable portion of the university to the general public they're what people hear about the most and yet the very small pool of people making foundational decisions about what these programs are are going to look like as far as conference affiliation and who they hire and all these sort of things are people who may or may not ever see any of that or care about it like it's just it's just it's just kind of weird it is strange do you think tv has made the experience of college football better. I've thought a lot about this. I think so. Begrud- I, and I say that begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. If if your definition of better is being able to watch more of it, then it's it's That's true. indisputable. Yes, um, you you can see more games now. If you're somebody who values the in stadium experience mm-hmm. and maybe doesn't really care about other teams other than the one that you root for, or other than your alma mater, or whatever it is then it's way worse because now you don't know what time the game is going to be until 12 days before. Um, It might be at eight o'clock local time and you might live two hours away. And so your, your whole day is shot now. Um, I, but I I think overall it's better. Like in, in the money is kind of a reflection of that, right? Like the fact that these companies think these rights are so valuable is a reflection of how many people are tuning in. I if think they... so, except except it's also you're. I think it's possible you're right, but I think it's also possible that the reason the rights are going up is because that's basically the glue that's hold holding together subscription TV right now. True. Like, there's no doubt that the money's gone up, and 
in in one version of my head, like in one, I can understand how, okay, that more money is making the experience better for student athletes, right? Like it, a player at Washington now compared to, let's go back when the Pac-12 champion or the Pac-10 champion still played the Big Ten champion in the Rose Bowl, is, is that athlete's experience now better than it was then? I think he has better facilities. I think... I, 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 I think I think that that part. I think the travel is better. I think they get more exposure. Like I I think that that part of it is better for them. But I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. It's certainly worse for a fan like me that values the in stadium experience. Like I don't really care that much about. I didn't care about the BCS. I went to the I went to the Peach Bowl when they played in the national semifinal, and that was really fun. Like I thought I was going to prefer to go to the Rose Bowl, but I really ended up enjoying it. But overall, like I don't know if my experience as a Washington fan is 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 better. It's it's probably a little bit worse because it's harder to watch them in person and and the travel logistics. Are, and then, but the thing that I wonder about the most is. Do more people like Washington football now? Because more people can watch it, right? Like conceivably, people that are more like sort of geographically dislocated, there there are more avenues to watch this team on TV. They should enjoy it more, and that should sort of lend to a higher thing. And I'm just I'm not I'm not certain it does. I I, I think it's I think it's rubbed I think it's rubbed the luster off for some teams. Like I don't think West Virginia is better off now than it was 25 years ago because they've gone through a migration. What they were, they were in the big East and, and then they moved and now, now they're in the big 12, right? Mm -hmm. Like they don't have any of their natural rivals that you would have. Like they've gone through this conference. And I, I, I think that that's happened to a lot of programs. That's my fear of what would happen if Washington went to the big 10. That was a really, really rambling answer. Christian, I'm sorry. I think if you asked, you know, Mario Bailey, Steve Entman, yeah. Dave Hoffman, you know, would you rather play today? I don't know that they would say yes. That's I think yeah. I think a lot of them, I mean, now NIL changes the conversation, right? Yeah, it does. But that's yeah. that's not the school providing revenue to the players. Right. Right. So it's it's kind of not really what we're talking about. I Yeah. The the you remember the you know the players united movement during the mm-hmm. pandemic. Yeah. One of the things they pointed out was that you know, rather than share revenue with athletes, schools pour millions and millions into all these facilities upgrades that really only benefit recruiting. And like, I I think if you polled most guys and said, you know, Hey, you've got the best weight room in the conference, you got the best locker room in the conference. Like, would your experience be demonstrably worse if you only had the eighth best locker room or the sixth best weight room? Like if you've got a bar and plates, isn't that enough? <laughs> you know, well, don't forget the ACDC. You need ACDC playing as well. Thunderstruck. Do they still listen to that when they lift weights? I don't know how. You... Uh, I mean, is it, is it even possible to like get the bar <laughs> off the rack? If you're not. <laughs> Thunder. That's yeah. And the, some of this is like a purely theoretical exercise, right? Cause the genie's out of the bottle. There's no going back. And when, when I've kind of said, I, I don't want Washington to go to the big 10, other people, uh, other Husky fans who are who love that program just as much or more than I do and, and follow it more are like you're consigning yourself to second class citizenry in college football. Like that that's possible. Like that is like if if it if if the world is consolidating into two super conferences, which is certainly what it looks like, and mm-hmm. you're going to have a college equivalent of the AFC and the NFC. And you're turning down a possibility of being in one of those mega conferences because you're like, eh, it doesn't fit my geographic footprint. Like it, it's it's not it's not what it doesn't resemble what my college football experience and being a fan has been. That you're turning down a revenue share that would significantly change sort of the the weight class you punch in, and that's very possibly true. Like the, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, but I I do have serious questions about whether or not. All of these changes have benefited fans. I know they've benefited TV companies, and I know they've benefited administrators and coaches. Like all of those people have have reaped very direct, demonstrable benefits from it. I don't know if it's benefited players as much, and I have real questions about whether it's benefited fans as much. Yeah, I I mean I'm I'm with you. I 
know a lot of people who, you know, the day USC and UCLA announced their move kind of said, mm, I, you know, I like college football less today. Yeah, you know, this, I feel that. This I makes me less way. interested in the game, at least out West, at least in the in the Pac-12. Yeah, but the, now I'm all in because I want to see those two schools get kneecapped. Like, I think that the Pac-12 should have an edict that the officials, and especially the replay officials, are to job those two schools for the remainder of their term in the conference. Now, now, Merton Hanks, abs- Merton Hanks abs- has said there will be no such shenanigans. Absolutely hose them. Like, if it if it's 50-50, it's going against them every time. They take it straight in the shorts. That's just, that's your tax. That, that's your that, that's your departure tax. I we we did a roundtable recently where I think four of us picked you know our picks for offensive player of the year and defensive player of the year and who's you know who's going to be in the championship game and stuff and someone pointed out that that none of us actually picked Caleb Williams to win offensive player of the year and one I I mean I just think Cam Ward at Wazoo is going to have a huge season and put up huge numbers. That's that's mostly my belief that you know in in picking him. But I also I just think that the bar, whether anybody says it or or articulates it or or even it's like a conscious thing, I think the bar is going to be a lot higher these next two years for USC and UCLA players and coaches earning accolades that conference coaches vote on. Yeah, um, and even maybe not. And if that is the case, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that's fair. Like the players didn't make that decision. The coaches didn't even make that decision. You know, like they're just they're. They're just playing, you know, so yeah. I, I would hope that doesn't happen, but like, I just, I know how these things kind of go and I just, you know, I think like if it's between a USC player or a UCLA player or someone else and it's close, like the fact that, well, you know, this guy plays for a team that's not leaving the conference in two years, like subconsciously, at least that could be a, that could be a tiebreaker on some of those things, but they have, I'll give George Klyovkov and Merton Hanks credit. I mean, they came out straight away at media day and were like, look, they you know, they they've been intentional about saying everyone in, affiliated with USC and UCLA is to be extended. You know, the same the same courtesy and sportsmanship and stuff that you would display to everybody else. You know, we're not going to have we're not going to tolerate anybody, you know, castigating them or whatever. But we'll we'll see if if any of that spills out on the field. I I'll just on the record, I'm okay with them getting host. Like you're very nice and very like, that's very, very high minded of you. I'm totally okay with them. Just getting, getting host. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I studied at a West coast research university, Danny. So <laughs> it's tremendous academic prowess, <laughs> tremendous academic prowess. You know what the great thing about all this is on September 3rd, the season starts, everybody's going to play and we can just watch football for, for what it is. Yeah, it will be very enjoyable, even if Michael Penix isn't going to run as much as I hope. <laughs> all right, that's all we've got for you. I think I'm comfortable saying we'll be back next week. We can get back yeah. to the weekly rhythm, yeah? We're going to do it. Yes. Yes, sir. All right. Take care, everybody.